there was a time and place that this university was feared. My goal as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee it is to get us back to that point. All right? Let me just quote the late, great Colonel Sanders. He said, I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. What is that? That's what she said. When you think about running through the tee at Nayland Stadium for the first time this Saturday, does that give you a little bit of chicken skin? Chicken skin, you know. You know what I'm making reference to when I say chicken skin? You're a southern boy. I got no idea. Dobbs heaves it. They're bunched up in the end zone. It's tipped up. It's caught. It is caught. Jawan Jennings. Jawan Jennings. Good morning. Afternoon. Evening. Brunch time. Lunch time. Having to record all of the intros all over again because you accidentally deleted them time. We always said the apocalypse would come when Tennessee won an SEC football game time. And that's what happened time. Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker, Patrick Brown, Ryan Callahan. Coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a Thursday afternoon. Going to drop this one for you either on a Thursday night or a Friday morning so hope you're having a great Thursday night and or Friday morning or if you listen to this Saturday on your way into the game I hope you're having a great Saturday morning and if you're listening to this on Sunday morning you're not going to be in a very good mood because the the pendulum of emotions are going to swing rather wildly in the next few days because Tennessee guys Tennessee Won an SEC football game. What? What? It happened. I'm not sure what to do with my hands. What? What? Wait. Is there? Do, do they get they're like? They're like. Do we get hats? Do we have champagne? What do we do? They beat the Auburn Tigers, then ranked 21st. Auburn Tigers, 30 to 24, on the plains of Auburn, Alabama, down there at Jordan Hare Stadium, with its comically placed new press box which was sort of gave us a Battle of Bristol view of the action, so to speak, where you're saying, wait, that could have been either a two-yard gain or a 25-yard gain. I'm not really yeah. sure. It was one of the two. The, sh- the poor radio guys who had to call the game from that view, I, I, I don't see how Bob Kessling and those guys did it. And, and, and there was a – was it a rumor about why it was moved over there, or is it actual the fact, the, the story that we were being told? I think it, it, it was – it's rumor or it's conjecture. But I don't. I mean, it, I don't think it's been proven. The conjecture was that uh, Jay Jacobs, who is Auburn's former AD, mm-hmm. uh, basically wanted to flip off the local media, and so they moved the press box from. He Rashawn Galdin them. Uh, <laughs> I think it was probably a revenue play because uh, they've taken the old press box and repurposed it as well, like club seats. Yeah, they've done it, and, and Alabama is going to do the same too, which is unfortunate because I think Alabama has the best press box in the league. Yeah, because uh, it's open air. And Georgia, it's, and right it's there between. With it yeah, both Alabama and Georgia are between. They're between the two decks. A and M is just very comfortable, just very far and away. So you, um, you, you, you're you're at a good vantage point. You're not like too high. Like in Neyland, it feels like we're about to scrape the moon. Yeah, A&M was that um, way, too. And I like open-air press boxes because it actually feels like you're at the game. Um, and Auburn's used to be one. This one was not. So, um, 
indoors and far away. Yeah, I think Al- like I think Alabama's is going to do the same, but I think they're going to slide us more down into the corner, kind of where like Florida's is. Florida's is yeah. sort of in the corner. It's like starts at the one of the twenties near the top of the stadium. The Texas A&M press box is weird because if you watch those games on TV, the t uh, the camera angle for TV is on the opposite side yeah. of 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 the actual press box. It so also sways when they do that. that it did, yeah, back it's, and forth it didn't thing. sway as much as it uh, used to at, before they expanded it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it definitely moved. Um, it's pretty cool. That, that, I've always thought it was weird because that, that happened the same thing with the old Orange Bowl. The wind that would like yeah. the wind would gust down there in Miami. I was in there once and the, and it started shaking and I was had like eyes that were like. I normally have very small eyes, very tiny eyes, if you will, and they got uh, rather large right there because uh, it felt like it was gonna, like we were gonna fall down. And all the Miami beat guys were just cracking up and saying, "Nah, man, it does this every week. Every time those winds come in, that's what it does." Oh. I, feel like, I feel like if we ever covered a game at Legion Field, that would happen too. I feel like that press box oh, yeah. would sway for other reasons. I know people are out there though saying, hashtag media problems. Nobody cares, and that's probably true. But this was. One of the worst press boxes I've been in for a new facility. Yeah, I've learned that in my 36 years of life, Ryan, it's taken me a lot, not too, too long to get here, but I'm definitely there now. I don't so much care what other people think. (laughs) It's not that like, it's all like this. It's like I say to Patrick during our road trips, I'm not trying to offend you, but if I, but if I did, I don't really care. Offend me? Mm -hmm. You're the one that gets easily offended. I don't believe you. <laughs> See, you're offended now. I don't believe you. I don't believe um, you at all. But, yeah, basically, uh, bas- it, it was the last time Tennessee won a big game. Uh, we were all, uh, what, at the, the Battle of Bristol, f- 50 million miles away? No, well, I guess that Georgia game I didn't, I didn't two years even, ago. I didn't even work for you guys then. It's true. That's true. You had not joined the fam yet. The uh, And then, then they go down to Auburn with another terrible view, and – Voila, mm-hmm. what do you know, an SEC win. And I got to tell you guys, I, I said going into the game that I thought Tennessee had a better chance to beat Auburn on the road than Missouri at home yeah. just because Missouri I feel scored, like you're crazy. Because Missouri scores a lot of points, and I don't think Tennessee is going to score a lot of points. So uh, that, that game just makes it – it's tough for me mathematically to look at that and see, wow, can Tennessee really put up 40 or 45 in a game? I, I don't know. But – Tennessee got to go against an Auburn offense that did what it usually does, came out like gangbusters, first couple drives, looked great, like it always does, that tempo, uh, the way they spread you out, the the stuff they schemed for the first couple drives there, they're great. Their first 15 or 20 plays every week, they're usually really, really good. Uh, but if you can hang in there against Auburn, they struggle, and, and they're in a funk right now. And, and that was going to show itself if you could kind of withstand and not be knocked out by those early punches. And Tennessee – uh, was able to do that. Tennessee came back, uh, got a got a field goal, got some stuff going, uh, and then really turned it around there uh, in the third quarter. Had a couple quick touchdowns, including the uh, most interesting fumble return that I think I've seen uh, in a while. That was uh, how, how did how did Ramey describe that? It was like a sack, sack, strip, strip sack, fumble, 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 touchdown. Yeah, that was, and that's kind of what it was because it was like, wait, huh? Had they scored? I honestly. They were. I did not know they had rolled it a touchdown until the like the the PAT team came on the field. Yeah, I, I, that's how stunned I was. I was. Really, and it happened right there near us. So it was I, just weird. I just couldn't find the ball at one point, yeah. and then I looked up, and the next thing I know, Elante Taylor's got it, and I'm like, wait a minute. Did they 
Is that really going to be a touchdown? They're, they're going to call this back. Yeah. He was down or something. Somebody's down somewhere. Yeah. And so it, it was a mess. And again, that's where our bad vantage point came in. I, I didn't feel like I've watched the game at, at times because it was such a bad view. But that play in particular, I was I felt lost. I'm like, something happened and then there was a touchdown. I don't know. But the guys, Tennessee did all that, came back and won a football game. And you want to know the best news of, out of all this. Because there was some tough news in that game, too. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I think the really best news about that game is Tennessee went on the road, beat a ranked football team in a hostile environment, and did not play its best football to do it. Because we said going into the game that any formula that led to Tennessee winning that game was Tennessee playing either its best or near its best at maximum capacity. And then maybe Auburn trips up a little bit, some things happen, turnovers, Voila, Tennessee can win the game. But Tennessee, despite playing inarguably its best game of the year, uh, did not play a perfect game at all. Even Jared Garantano, whose numbers were fantastic, uh, Jeremy Pruitt said when he watched the film, he said he got blown up a couple times because he made the wrong check at the line of scrimmage, didn't put the guys in the right position to block, missed a couple plays, left them out there on the field, and the run game was 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 struggling against Auburn's front seven, so they weren't able to get much going that way. Uh, had, a, had another big play called back by a penalty. Uh, did some things that you, that you just don't want to do. Uh, but despite all that, Tennessee hung in there, fought, and won a football game. And you know, they didn't really ever look intimidated by anything, which give them credit for that because that team, you're in that position, you've lost 11 straight, Auburn goes down, boom, boom, gets a couple scores. You're probably nervous, right? You got to be, but they're not. Those guys, they credit their coaches, credit to the players themselves uh, because the way you build a program, the way that you instill a culture, that's when it pays off is moments like that. And Pruitt told that team, guys, Auburn always comes out hot. They always do this. They've done this for years. Just weather the storm, keep yourself in the game, and then give us a chance. And that's what they did, and they won the game. And the third down stuff is fascinating to me because if Tennessee doesn't have the day that it had throwing the ball, especially those downfield, some of those 50-50 balls and things like that, which they weren't even 50-50 really the way they were thrown. Garantano had a number of throws that were either going to be incompletions or, or completions because yeah. of where they were placed. So give, give him – a lot of credit for the way he played. But yeah, best game he's played. For sure. But without all of that, I mean, he was 11 of 14 for, I think, 100, 188 yards on third down alone, 8 of 8 on third down and 8 or longer. So without all of that, though, we're talking about how bad their first down offense was. And that's what that's where, you know, you talked about them not playing their best game. Because it was pretty bad. They were putrid on first down. And they've, they've got to figure that out going forward, the, some of the play calls and things like that. You know, in a game like that where you're – I mean, you you do have to sort of keep banging your head against the wall to stay honest, keep a defense honest with the run game. But well, not just that. I think the more I looked at it, and I should have I should have spotted this during the game, and I didn't. Uh, it didn't. It wasn't until I looked at some of the stats the next day. But Tennessee won the time of possession battle pretty comfortably in they that did, game. Yeah. And I think those first down runs were a well, huge part of the reason some for of that. The, some of that is uh, Auburn scores quickly. You know, the, the couple Our, of Auburn drives, still ran eighty plays. They did, but but a couple of the drives they had were you know ten plays, but only three minutes or so, and mm-hmm. that 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 also plays into that. But yeah, that 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 makes a difference, and you got to keep your defense fresh. So give Tennessee credit for and that. How many but, plays would Auburn have run if Tennessee hadn't been able to yeah. to, to convert so many third downs and, and well, run the ball and I keep mean, the clock running? Yeah, it, you know they had two. Drives in the fourth quarter where they're playing catch up, so that that's mm-hmm. a factor of it too. But um, yeah, I mean, you you can't. I think t- the takeaway from this game for me is that 
how much of this was an aberration and how much of it was just Tennessee. It was their day. Because you're not, you're not going to go 10 and 19 on third down every week. Uh, Jared Grantano is not going to be 11 of 14 for 108 yards and nine first downs on mm-hmm. third down and a lot of third and long situations. That's not going to happen every week. So um, You're not going to have a second down dump off to Tim Jordan go for 19 yards on second and 19 every well, week. I mean, that, it, I mean, that was a nice it, play. It, it, it might. I think, I, I think we saw more just from the offense. Uh, the game planning was a lot more like what a lot of us thought it should be. Yeah. Getting it to um, your best players in the best situation. They yeah. played to their strengths for the first yeah, time. Yeah, I play, thought playing to their strengths is the way to put it. And even even with with throwing the ball to Jordan in each of those situations, I think both of his catches he was in the flat one on one. That's mm-hmm. what you're trying to do. I mean, as a coach, you got to put your guy in position to where you think he can be in a you know in a matchup that he can win. And there was one time where, as you mentioned, he got a 19 yard gain. There's another time where it was what third and six or something, and mm-hmm. uh, he he tried to make a big play when he needed to get the easy play. Uh, on, on the third down that he that he got stopped short on. I think that was in the fourth quarter, I think. No, it might have been the second quarter. Um, but, yeah, you saw Ty Chandler heavily involved. Uh, I think he had 21 touches. They're using him a lot as a receiver. I think he's got nine catches the past two games. Uh, and that's something where they're tr- they're clearly trying to use him as a matchup guy, get him open and get him against guys he can beat one-on-one. And then the receivers, we've been thinking all year that you know maybe they weren't utilizing these guys the best. Um, but they, they were more involved, and, and they gave him some shots. They threw more downfield shots. We saw him working on a lot during during the open week practice and the, the practice before the Auburn game, a lot of back shoulder throws, a lot of fades. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to see a lot of single covers this week against Alabama too. Um, so if, if there's any chance Tennessee has of, of hanging around, keeping the game competitive, they're going to need those receivers, Callaway, Jennings, Josh Palmer. They're going to need all those guys to kind of replicate what they did last week. But, but this win, I mean, I could sense it kind of after the game talking to players it was sort of a a, a relief, sense it, was, of relief. It, it, it was relief as much as it, it was, was joy it was cathartic like um i mean last year was no fun for any of these guys nope and not even for us covering it to be nah, honest with you and and and, and, I, and one point back on on our vantage point the juan jennings touchdown was right in front of us we had a really good view on that because mm-hmm. it was in that corner right where we were um but yeah i just just a sense of relief from talking to guys like Talking to Trey Smith, Ty Chandler, like, yeah, that's my first SEC win. And it's like, yeah, you're right. You guys are sophomores, and you guys didn't win a game last year. So, um, and in terms of the big picture, I think it gives both players, people in the program, uh, and fans hope for for the future. It's hope that you've got a coach who finally. And when was the last time we could say that Tennessee had a guy and had a staff that outcoached the other team? Mm-hmm. Made it's, better adjustments. Yeah, I mean, yeah. maybe Butch Jones's first couple of years, you may- felt there were games with, like the Georgia game that year where they almost won, and the pick Howard fumble that game. That's fair. Yeah, where that they was one. where they kept them in games where, where they where he, were, he coached them to win and they yeah. almost won. Um, and you, you, and maybe maybe the South Carolina game. Yeah, there was still a little, you know, a little bit of a. I don't want to say a, a f- there's there an aura of I don't want to say luck or fortune or fate that kind of mm-hmm. that kind of felt like they had a chance to win that game, but. Then again, they, they made some plays in the fourth quarter of that game. And this game, I mean, you look at you look at what Tennessee was going you know going in this game with, and I know Auburn's sort of a mess right now, but that's still a loaded team. That's still a team that's got a bunch of guys on defense that are going to play in the NFL. Yep. I mean, Ryan Johnson, bless his heart, he has hands full of Derrick Brown. Derrick Brown was pushing him in the backfield all day. And, there, uh, that, and, that, and that middle linebacker hits like an absolute truck. Yeah. And, and, and you – I mean, you look at what Tennessee did on the offensive line. They were down – Brandon Kennedy, starting center. They were down – Two of their top guards. Uh, Four of their top line. eight, I think. 
Jameer Johnson was the starter. Riley Locklear is number two. They were without him. Carvin missed some time. Uh, Carvin missed some time in the fourth quarter. They were starting Aiden Niehaus, who uh, if you would have told any of us going into the season, he would start at Auburn. You're thinking, this is going to get destroyed. This is not This, <laughs> this is not going to go so well. This is not going to go well. And then you look in the secondary, no Mike Abernathy, no Trayvon Flowers. Um, they're starting Sean Schamberger back there, who was not even on the trial roster two weeks ago. They're playing Mark Will Osborne at a position he's never practiced, and he's out there breaking up a couple passes. Um, and you just see guys stepping up, and, and after the game, Pruitt's like, "Yeah, we had guys step up." And whereas in the past, you know, if they if that had happened, it would have been trumpeting as like the greatest accomplishment in the history of football that we won with our backups at certain positions. <laughs> I mean, it's just um, yeah, Mark just, yeah, um, uh, Balaam Buchanan had played the money position earlier in the season, yeah, but he star, but he, yeah. he hadn't practiced in it all week long. And right before the game, they finally realized that something that we said earlier in the week that hey. Mike Abernathy does not look good. He's probably not going to be able to play. I don't think he's going to play Saturday. But either. they but they found out that he wasn't going to be able to go, and so all of a sudden it was like, hey, uh, Balin, you're at money this week, and, and he hadn't practiced there all week. And he's like, you know what? He goes, he goes. But if you, he said the way he looked at it was that if he said if I'm in the meeting room, I should know everything that's discussed in that meeting room. So I should know, even if I'd not played money ever, I should know exactly what the money needs to do because I'm in that meeting room and there's no excuse. And, and that's a credit to those guys for taking it upon themselves to learn what they need to do, and it's a credit to the coaching staff for trusting them. Now, you get to a point as coaching staff where sometimes your hands are tied. Yeah. you got to play guys because you got no other options and you got no choice. But, um, you know, they, they, there's other options they could have thrown in there at either of those positions, but they threw Osborne in there, and, and Pruitt said earlier this week that he's, not, he's sort of seeing more buy-in from Osborne. Kinda, he kind of at some point was like kind of – Picked his drawers up and said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a role on this team." He still got those little um, T Rex arms, though. True, but you know those T Rex arms broke up a pass the other day. Yeah, they did. Um, and so, uh, you, you just you, you, the pivotal moment to me was watching, uh, not the pivotal moment, but a telling moment was in the fourth quarter. The seminal moment. Um, Tennessee had just gotten the fourth down sack, and they were on a toss play on on first down, trying to get a, uh, you know, they're trying to run the four minute, trying to eat some clock, and they're pulling. They have a pulling guard and a fullback out there. The pulling guard was Nathan Niehaus, and the fullback was Andrew Craig. Who y'all are going? Who is that? Webb School of Knoxville. He's a walk-on from Webb. Who so that means you, know, you uh, know he's a nerd right off the bat. Um, yeah, Knoxville, Cath- Cath- Knoxville Catholic High School for how life. Many, how many Knoxville Catholic guys are playing for this team? Zero. There's a couple on the team. Neither are playing. Yeah, there are a couple on the team. Neither are playing. Yeah, and and Craig is actually. I think he think he. I think that's what last week he took some snaps from CAK's own Austin Pope. So. That was like you, you think about that, and you're like, they won this game rather handily, almost. It, it, you know, going Auburn th- had that late score, but they were yeah. at 13 till the final seconds. I don't say handily; that's not fair. But oh, somewhat, somewhat comfortable. I always say, it, you know, if we were gonna, if we're going to say that, I always say that if you're two scores away, you're in the game because you're one play away from being one play away. Yes. So, um, but like they just, you know, they're missing guys. Uh, they didn't You're going to sound like Butch Jones Dominic there. Wood Anderson. You know, just seven or eight different plays gone there a little <laughs> bit differently. Dom, you know, Dominic Wood Anderson went out. We didn't mention him. Eli Wolf yeah. stepped up, played a bunch of snaps, made a great catch on a third down on that four-minute drive. This is the first time we've seen the wear and tear of SEC games start to really take Eli a toll Wolf on this team. back from the dead, and, my boy. And and I still didn't think this team had the the manpower to withstand those kinds of blows, but, and they did. But but going back to, the, you know, sort of my main point is that Tennessee outcoached Auburn on Saturday. Yeah. Yes. Um, they had the right game plan on offense. They played to their strengths, um, even though some of the play calling was, let's run the ball right at where Auburn's really good. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
Don't um, quite understand that one after a while. I think they ran uh, – I was doing these numbers. there. I think they had 12 first down plays in the second half and 11 were runs. The pass went for 42 yards, so hey, you know. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I think they only had like four efficient runs, which an efficient run is four yards or more generally is kind of how that's counted. Uh, a lot of negative yardage plays, a lot of zero, one, two-yard plays. Um, but, you know. Hey, when they, you're living right on third down, maybe it doesn't matter what you want first down. But their first down passes, they, they were a little bit more balanced in the first half, but their first down passes were didn't go very well either. So uh, I think first down execution overall has got to be better. But um, and, and defensively, I mean, Tennessee didn't give up, didn't give up a touchdown until uh, you know, late in the game when they're still they – pre- They gave up a lot of yards on those two drives late where still, your main goal still. as a defense is don't get beat deep, don't give any, up anything cheap. They want to check the ball down eight straight times and pick up eight yards at a clip. That's fine because they're burning clock, and so that's. Do you know how many runs Georgia and Auburn had longer than seventeen yards? Zero. I, you know, their defensive line is playing pretty well. Um, I think that's no been a position. Chunk plays on the ground. That's been a position that uh, has been really improved, and um, I, I think you're seeing this defense look more and more like Pruitt wants it to look like. Now they got to get better players in there for sure, but yes. Um, and and we've seen a couple clips of it too on on the Twitter, where. Uh, Pruitt on the sideline is calling blitzes and calling out where Auburn's going with the ball. <laughs> and he, we clearly have to talk about him having Auburn's number. I mean, and, and I have not. Um, I, I think they may have talked about this on the SEC Network Film Room show that that featured Tennessee this week. I've not watched it yet. It's on the DVR. Uh, I do plan to watch it. But uh, there was one play I think on the Jonathan Congbo interception where um, <clears throat> Auburn ran one of his little gadget cute little reverse line the quarterback up at right receiver and run a verse and, and get it to him and right before the snap <laughs> I guess hollers at Balaam Buchanan go and and Buchanan runs and blitzes and gets the pressure and, and forces Jarrett to him to throw oh he should just ate it but it was a dumb pass right to John the combo who's in the right spot and I saw that a lot on Saturday is Tennessee had a lot of guys in the right spots a lot of times yeah if you make the play that's on the player. If you're in the right spot, that's on the coach. Yeah, and is so, how I look at it. And there's another play later in the game. I think on that last drive where, right before the snap, proves Balen's coming to you. Goes right to, and goes right to him. I think they still completed the pass, but uh, it was a short gain. And um, but yeah, I just you see that. I think I've seen that a lot more the last couple of weeks. Uh, and that's that Tennessee's defense is oftentimes in the right spot quite a bit. And, and uh, I, there were a couple of situations too where I thought they. Had some really good, really good calls on down when when Auburn was backed up right before halftime, and I think one other time after that, when they got three and outs. Yep. Um, and those are important chances to, uh, you know, you got to take advantage of field position, and and they gave that they gave their offense field position by getting three and outs and having good calls and having guys in the right spaces, and um, that's, I think that's a sign that you have a coach that defensively knows what he's doing, he knows how to draw up a game plan. And I think his familiarity with, with Georgia and with Auburn has, has helped because he's had really good game plans the past two weeks. I think when you look at even even Auburn's biggest splash play from the game, and there weren't many, but it, they had one, even on that play, Bryce Thompson was right there in coverage to either make a play on the ball or be there. And then you had two other guys that were there that could have gotten him and on the And then ground. you had two guys also. You had Theo Jackson and somebody else over there who had a chance, and I, I still don't really know what Theo was thinking or doing on that play, but – uh, really, he looked, he looked confused. He probably was thinking too much instead of playing. Like, yeah. Just get the guy to bounce. When that guy runs that fast, you, you can't think. you got to go. I mean, say this much. I mean, there's a, like when Rashawn Galden would occasionally miss a tackle, I would almost give him a free pass because you could tell 
that he spotted that play from a long way away and he dove into it and trying to make the play and just didn't make the play, but he saw where it was going and he aggressively went to go make the play. I've always said if you're going to make mistakes, make them on your front foot. If you're going to make mistakes, make them going forward. Always create the uh, good old sins of commission. Never never the sins of omission. You never, ever, ever want to be. Now he's a philosophizer. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me that's <laughs> let, let me let me translate that from Catholicism into into regular folk. Um, basically, oh, if you're gonna make a mistake, Reverend make Reverend. a mistake doing something. Don't make a mistake not doing something. And, and so that that is where I think it, Tennessee's been good. And I think that's where the culture of this whole thing has come into play. To be honest with you, and I wrote a comment about this. Y'all, y'all have heard me talk about this before. But Pruitt this this season came in with a pretty simple mindset of and, and this is easy to do when you have a stacked deck against you because you can go out there and you can play like and coach like it doesn't matter because you're playing with house money but I think Pruitt's default stance to anyone who knows him is to be aggressive that's how he feels the game should be played he wants the game taken to the opponent the fight taken to the opponent so that means that guess what he will do onside kicks occasionally for you know when you're not expecting it. He will go for it on fourth down when it might be more prudent to punt the ball, especially when your short yardage offense sucks. You know he he might <laughs> do sucks. he might go put some pressure on a quarterback, even like a quarterback like Tua. He might go put pressure on him and then do press man coverage on the outside with the corners because you know what that's how he thinks the game should be played, and he's trying to teach this team a mindset of you are not afraid, you are not below anyone you are not beneath anyone i have you, confidence in you you, you are yeah. t- you are tennessee by god and you're going to go out there and you're going to play and you're going to execute and you're going to take the fight to the opponent and that has been something tennessee has badly badly needed at least twice in butch jones five years if his team had had that mentality it would have won the sec east I'm I'm convinced to this day that would have been the case if that team had not been afraid and that staff had not been afraid of its own shadow and let that team go out there and play. Can you imagine with the situation they had with some of those defenses if they had just said, you know what, go put crazy pressure on them. You know, guys like Galden, you go man up on your guy. Sutton, you take your guy, press man. He's not going anywhere. Let's go, you know, bring Barnett and some other – and Reeves Maven also off the edge. Let's see what we can throw at these guys. I think those defenses could have been a lot better. And I think Bob Shoup's a good coach, but I think coordinators do what their head coaches allow them to do. So long story short, they have a long way to go talent-wise, but when you look at the mentality of this team, starting with the coaching staff, I think you're seeing a, you know, Pruitt's a no-quarter kind of guy. He is, and he's going to coach like that. Also pitching quarters kind of guy based yeah. on his comments. Pit- you're, you're, th- you're out there pitching quarters, you know. Hey, way has she ever pitched quarters? I don't know what that means. Yeah. Do y'all know what that means? Uh, is it the drinking game that I think it is? Um, Maybe I should I wasn't, it. I wasn't really sure. I don't know because we always, we always called it just playing quarters. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm, that maybe that's some uh, some North Alabama speak. I don't I don't really know. Not sure. But my my thought on this though, I mean, it's obviously for multiple reasons. It's easy to look at this game and say. You know, look at it from the perspective of Auburn's not very good, or Auburn did some things. I, not I very discovered well. I mean, what it is. Go ahead, though. but <laughs> but uh, for for this game, I I I've got to give a lot of credit to Tennessee's defensive line, even though that Auburn offensive line was the worst on the field. Kyle Saturday. Phillips was the man. Yeah, Kyle Phillips played well. Alexis Johnson 
played very Again, well. Again, played well. Yeah. He has all season. He's been the most Im- improved player on this team, I think, and there have been several that have improved quite a bit. Second week in a row, Paul Bain played pretty well, yeah, too. He's starting he to take some snaps. He's starting to, to make more plays than goodness pa- when he's in pa- the game. Yeah. Pa- Paul Bain played so well that a, a Vol Calls caller this week who a few weeks ago asked Pruitt about moving Bain, Bain to, uh, to offensive line, called back on Wednesday night and said, you know what, I was wrong, and it's good that we have a guy that knows more about football than me down there in Knoxville. Well, True story. You know, when you're born in the darkness, you can go out there and uh, do things like that. Uh, but um, first of all, pitching quarters, uh, there's a Wikipedia entry called Pitching Pennies. But I guess if you're an SEC football coach, you can pitch quarters. Yeah, pitching, pitch, <laughs> we're, we're, we're pitching gold flakes. Um, anyways, it's uh, players take turns throwing a coin at a wall from some distance away, and the coin which lands the closest to the wall is the winner. Hmm. Okay. That is some country fun right there. <laughs> Let me tell you, as someone with a as someone whose family has farms in Greenback, Tennessee and Manorville, Tennessee, I know some good old country hillbilly fun when I see it, and by God, that is some good country hillbilly fun right there. Um Pitching this is this is straight out of Wikipedia here. So you know it's pitching right. pitching pennies is a very old game. While coins have been used while the coins used have inevitably changed, the game was known to be played at the uh, by the ancient Greeks using bronze coins. It is believed that this game was used in the first Olympics, wow. but we could have played that sport. But was later removed due to lack of entertainment value. What's not entertaining about watching people <laughs> throw coins against a wall? But uh, and this is this is where the idea of the gold medal comes from. I don't know about that. I think that might be some some. I, I just to me the, some funny business there. To, to uh, me, the best thing Pruitt has said all season long, all season long, was when he talked about that play at Florida. When they're down forty to twenty one, I think, or whatever it is, and they they don't get an onside kick or whatever, so Auburn's got the ball at the forty seven. Florida's got the ball at the forty seven to start the drive. On that very first play, Pruitt goes out there with a goal line defense and attacks. And of course, you know Scarlett or who I know uh, the the freshman Pierce kind of wiggles through and then goes down the sideline for a touchdown. And then Pruitt goes. What's the difference in 40 and 47? Really? What's the difference? I'm trying to go out there. We need the ball back. I'm trying to go out there and, and blitz people and make something happen. And if they score, they score. But if not, we're losing anyway. So what? What? why not go out there and try to give it a shot? And that, to me, is exactly what a winner would do. That's the decision that a winner would make. For all, for all the intangible things about this season and the big picture things, this is still a results-based business and it's still an outcome-based business. It and is. So – uh, the other part of, you know, the more immediate short-term value of, of this Auburn win is that Tennessee's bowl chances are now back off life support. Like, you can see a reasonable path to yeah. them getting to six wins. It, this made up for uh, the Florida game. Essentially. Uh, and now it gives, you know, they're not going to beat Alabama. So they're going to go. Newsflash. Not going to beat Alabama. From their final five games, they're going to have to win three. They've got Charlotte. Uh, and then they've got the rest of the SEC East. It isn't Florida or Georgia. Well, I guess they're Kentucky, too. I'm still not consoled that Kentucky's that good. I think Kentucky um, is pretty solid, but I think late in the season is when depth problems always kind of give well, Kentucky some and, issues. And, and, and their look, offense isn't tremendous. And you so. look, at, But you look at the schedule and you think, you know, if Tennessee plays well and gives itself a chance, it could win any of those all games. of those games. Yeah. But you also think if they struggle, they might have to, you know, sweat it out against Charlotte, who might actually not be that terrible. Yes. Um, for a – for conference USA team and, and Pruitt, I think is um, he was asked on the tele on the SEC teleconference Wednesday about seeing his you know his his team's improvement come to fruition 
Um, and, and in very typical Pruitt fashion, he's like, uh, I, we've improved every week, but we were very bad at the beginning of the year, and we're still not that great. <laughs> uh, I can assure I, you of that is what he said. I so, agree. Um, and so, but that's, you know, there's hope there. And now you see Tennessee involved in some bowl projections that every media outlet on the planet puts out. So, um, and, and we all said going into the year, if they got to a bowl game, it would be a, cons- a success. Now, I don't think Pruitt will be celebrating. I don't think he'll be going to Philip Fulmer asking for a raise and, you know, a contract extension if they get to six and six. He should. Uh, he might should. Um, but I like you saying that in Pruitt speak. He might should. He might should. I mean, but I'm not, he's not like this guy's used to, and you've, you've, bela- you know, I don't want to say belabored. That's not a good word. That's a negative connotation. But you've made this point over and over again once this guy is one at like a what, like an 85% clip? 88.1. 88.1. See, there you go. Uh, you just know the stat off the top of your head. 88.1% clip. So he's not going to be celebrating or jumping up and down for, um, you know, a 500 season. Yeah, five national titles whereas, in nine years. Whereas, you know, a bowl game in year two under the last guy was, you know, the greatest thing, greatest story in college football, you know. Um, so, and we, you know, we saw this with Butch's first year in 2013. They beat South Carolina, but then they didn't get to a bowl. Uh, can they turn the momentum of this? Auburn went into getting to a bowl game, and I think it's really unfortunate. It's sort of Tennessee's luck. You finally have something good happen, and then you got to play Alabama. Instead, as opposed to a team where you could maybe string another win together and build some momentum. So, well, it, you but know, I, I do think I do think you know, a lot of those games down the stretch are very winnable. South Carolina's beatable, Missouri's beatable, Vander, Vanderbilt's beatable, Kentucky hasn't won in Knoxville in thirty years. Yeah, and so they're <laughs> going to be coming off the Georgia game too. So either they're going to be coming off an emotional high, and and they're going to be in a position where they hey they might have the SEC East. It makes under it more control, realistic. in which case they'll have no idea what to do with themselves, or they might have come off a loss where they see their SEC hopes dash and then they limp in Knoxville. Where, so um, it makes it more realistic to me. Like you look but, at the but, you look yeah. at the calculus and it looks yeah. better. Yeah, I mean, if if they had lost this game, they were looking at two and six. Well, not two and six. They were looking at two and five going in the final five games, right? And you got to win. Th- yeah. You got to win four of five, right? Mm-hmm. Math is hard. Um, now you just got after this game you've got to win three of five, and really it's two of four, right? Yeah, and so, they, and they I all mean, look a little more realistic when you can go on the road and beat a team like Auburn. Yeah, even though they're not, yeah, not great. I want to I want to be clear about this: <clears throat> the national story. If you're talking to a the average college football fan, the average SEC football fan, the bigger story from that game, unequivocally is Auburn struggling. Because it's a top-ten team that's now four and three. Yes, and that team, and I said this before, say it again, won't spend too much time on it, but every time I've covered a team that was expected to compete for a national championship and it lost two games in the first half of the season, that thing went downhill. That's just what happens. And this now, I mean, there's just enough chatter out there that even though he's in the first year of a ridiculous contract, you now can't rule out the possibility that something at least – $40 $40 million guaranteed from yeah, that Yeah, that that's something at least potentially is discussed with Gus Malzahn if this continues. It's and that's crazy. crazy. It's crazy, but that's the world we live in now, guys. That's These coaches and their agents have all the cards, and as, as long as that's the case, then this is what it is. And, again, those players are uh, not getting that money. So that that's unfortunate. But, but, but that, that's, that's been Gus's M.O. is that he rises up and beats Alabama, and the next year they, they kind of suck. Yeah. And so, you know, you look at – you know, last year, eleven months ago, Alabama left that field where Tennessee won on Saturday with a loss, and yep. so did Georgia, for that yep. matter. And so, um, anybody that says this isn't that big an upset, 
uh, is is fooling themselves because Tennessee was what a two touchdown underdog. Yeah. Opened up as eighteen. I think that ESPN's FPI gave them like 14 percent chance yeah. of winning. And this again, this is a team that eleven months ago uh, was beating Georgia and Alabama at home in the same month, whereas Tennessee was finishing off its worst season in program history and was about to embark on a coaching search that made them a national punchline. Now they may have lucked themselves into a pretty good situation at the end of this coaching search, but for for a while there, everybody was kicking Tennessee while they were down, and now here they are beating Auburn at Auburn, which is, as Pruitt said, is a tough place to play and, and a place where, regardless of how Auburn is, that's a that's a win you're going to value and it's a win you're going to call a signature win. Well, and let's face it, it's a, it's a team that had lost to Vanderbilt for the last six years. They lost to Kentucky last year. They hadn't won this, this group of players, for the most part, hadn't won an SEC game as starters. Well, they, they had lost every their most recent game against every team in this conference. Yeah. E- even, even the guys like Jarrett Garantano, who were around in the 2016 season, not many of them were playing yeah. on the that's field. So Garantano said, for, uh, for my class, at least playing, this is our first real SEC win. Um, so you have to – I mean, there are a few guys, Kyle Phillips, Shai Tuttle, that have been around for wins, but for a lot of this team, it felt like their first win against a quality opponent. You want to hear a fun stat? This is a fun, fun stat. I'll be the judge of that. He doesn't have the legal pad. He's got the game notes. Yeah, this Brace is a courtesy of the Tennessee Sports Information Office. So if this is wrong, Zach, I'm blaming you. Uh, and, and you know they're listening. You know they are because they got to listen – like sports get, in, get, to, get to the point. Hold on. Sports Info has to listen. No, get to the point. Just in case the, they hear something they don't like that Pruitt needs to know, then Pruitt gets to you're hear You're wasting it. the people's time. Just tell them, you're wasting my time. For Jeremy Pruitt to win his first road game over a ranked team in his young head coaching career, it only took six games. No active head coach in the SEC achieved that feat quicker. Took Nick Saban 44 games to do it, Kirby Smart 15 games to do it, and Will Muschamp 16 games to do it. Took Pruitt six games to do that. Now, again, that could be a weird stat because of how many times you get the chance to play a ranked team on the road, whatever. Um, but I believe those guys had opportunities to do it before they did. This guy did it in six games. The only coach who did it in six games, and he wasn't in the SEC at the time, is a Jimbo Fisher, who uh, while he was uh, at Florida State, the sixth game of his career there was against Miami on the road, a ranked team, and they won and, that game. And Fisher's doing a great job at Texas A&M first yeah, year. Yeah, he is. He is in the in, in the in the picture for for he, he and Stoops probably for SEC Coach of the Year right now. I would think they're both up there um, in that race. In case, unless you just say screw it, give it to Saban every year. But that that to me is impressive. And, and that again, from a from a national standpoint, Auburn was the bigger story, no question about it. But I don't think Tennessee people should care about that. I don't think this win should be diminished. I don't think the feeling from this game should be diminished. I think winning, you know, it, it's it's like losing and winning are both like, you know, they're they're both kind of um, you know mood changers. Losing is kind of a disease. Winning's kind of a drug. And you, the value of winning, it's hard to win when you haven't won in a while. But once you start doing it you get to a place where you can feel yourself doing it again. I've talked to Swain and some other SEC or former Philip Fulmer players because, you know, there were times in Fulmer's final, what, five, six years where they won games they shouldn't have won. Mm-hmm. Um, no, they, they just – they and I don't mean like they were better, weren't as good as the other team. I mean like they played like slaw. They'd go to Kentucky and they'd give up a 21 early points and fall in a big hole. They'd go out there and turn the ball over four times against Vanderbilt. They'd just do really, really dumb, really bad things. But they won those games almost all the time. And the reason why, as Swain said, 
We knew we were going to win the game. We didn't know how, but we knew we were going to win the game. And when you're a winner and when you build a winning culture, you win those kinds of games more than you lose those kinds of games. And Tennessee had been losing a lot of those games. And Tennessee had not had the, the spine to come back in some of these games. And this team, I think because of this staff and because of some leadership within the program, when you have guys like Trey Smith, like Jared Garantano, like Juwan Jennings, who are just so physically tough and mentally tough, those guys just they, – they, they, I think those guys are winners. I think the way that they go about their business, I think that they are tough but in a genuine way. I think they are just sort of natural winners. And I think those guys – that's why Pruitt said he wants to recruit guys who won in high school. He wants to recruit guys who are captains from their high school team. And he wants to recruit guys who want to win a championship at Tennessee. And there's a group of, this, of players on the Tennessee team who I think check all those boxes. Now, are some of them as good as the players at the other best SEC – the other SEC programs? No. No, they're not. And I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and tell you otherwise because they're not. But they're good enough to compete. And, and I think they're doing that now. Before we move on to a, a couple other topics, we do need to discuss uh, some of the injury fallout from that game. We've mentioned a little bit about Micah Abernathy. Uh, he still has been limited. I, I still don't know um, when exactly he will be back or what speed he'll be at when he gets there, but uh, he still looks like he's limping around on that ankle. Uh, and the big news from that game, other than Dominic Wood Anderson, which was a hamstring, we'll see when he comes back. Uh, being listed as questionable at best for this game, and I think that's probably a good way to uh, put it. Jeremy Pruitt said on Vol Calls uh, Wednesday night that he would be a game time decision essentially. So they would just. I can gonna, tell you what that probably means. Yeah, so so there, it's clearly going to be a um, make sure he doesn't look capable of playing in warm ups kind yeah. of thing. And a couple of the a couple of the offensive linemen there, uh, Riley Locklear and Jameer Johnson. I don't think either one's one hundred percent, but they're both out there kind of going through some reps, doing some things. You could maybe see those guys play in an emergency. We'll see. And I, I think it'll be carving. I think it'll be carving coming in at left guard. I agree. I also wonder if they're, they're for the same. I mean, no coach is ever going to admit to this if if the thought crosses your mind. But I wonder, rest guys. I wonder if you have a close call on a guy whether he's available or well, not this if, week. If do they, you take it easy just because you don't think it's going to make a huge difference in the outcome, knowing you're playing Alabama? No, you go into this game thinking you win. Probably so. I mean, that's that's how coaches look at. Well, it. I just you, wonder. you give guys as good a chance to see. And, and you, play and you against have guys that. Because let's face it, in the grand scheme of things, even though yes, you play to win the game, Herm Edwards agrees. But uh, South th- Carolina, let's face it, is a game that plays a much bigger role in where this season goes for Tennessee. But I think Alabama. there's, I think there's value for the long run in playing guys against the best teams yeah. on their schedule to show them this is exactly how good you need to be That's true. to compete against these guys. Mm-hmm. I think Ryan's out here val- trying to rest, guys. I no, think there's I, value just, in that. Just something wondering a lot. Hey, maybe, th- maybe that's why Batuli got the targeting intentionally so he, so he wouldn't there have to go, go. Uh, play the next Phil- week. Philosophical discussion I thought was maybe worth no, no, I think it's I think, there, I think it's worth the discussion. I think you play the guys, but I think I hear your point. I, I, think, you're, I think you're right. I think you play them. But, but I, I would, if you're going to go that way, I would say if a guy isn't going to be 100% effective or nearly as effective as he would be, sure. if he was 100%, then you don't play him. Well, because uh, you got to play the guys who give you the best chance to win. The guys who give you the best chance to win aren't the guys that are hobbling around on a on a bum ankle or have a mm-hmm. have a sore hamstring. Or, Can't or make the club in the tub. Well, and hey, when you're again, we're and, talk, we're and, talking about culture. When you're trying to instill that kind of winning culture, you don't do it yeah. by sitting guys out against the best team yeah, in the country. But you also don't want to risk guys getting hurt. You worse. don't. Yeah, and, and we haven't seen a couple of these guys in practice this week. 
Uh, and when usually if you're not seeing guys practice, they're probably not going to play. Like last week, uh-huh. Mike Abernathy took zero practice reps. He was over on the side working with a trainer both Tuesday and Wednesday, and that told me, uh, I, know they, I know they do a lot of stuff you know, when we're not there, but that seemed to tell me that he probably wasn't going to be ready. And plus, Abernathy's been playing at Tennessee for 14 years and now. He, so. he looked really hobbled in pregame, too, so I'll be surprised I, if he plays Saturday. I thought Sean Schamberger played pretty well in place of Abernathy, too. So that The, the big injury, though, is, is Congo. That's where I was going, yeah. That's the one that uh, RIP to the Tennessee football career of one Jonathan Congo. Uh, it's a sad uh, sad, sad story. Really, he, uh, he came he in as a, such a such too. a highly touted prospect and just never quite lived up to that billing. He, he had maybe his two best games though here at the end. You know, yeah. Georgia and Auburn. And I thought it looked like he was maybe starting to turn the corner where you he, maybe could have seen some sacks before the end. Of the yeah, game. he still he, he he was disruptive. There's no doubt about that. that led he the was team disruptive. In, led the team in hurries, I believe. Yeah, but just never quite could finish on the quarterback and get what he get what he needed to do there. But so I'll say this because people have been asking me, people from Alabama all week have been asking me, you know, what does that injury mean for Tennessee? And, and I've I've always said it clearly hurts Tennessee, but I don't think it hurts Tennessee in the way that you think it probably hurts Tennessee. I, I think it hurts Tennessee because he is their starter for a reason, and he's out there for a reason. Um, but I think you could argue that DeAndre Johnson is a better pass rusher. You well, could. yeah, I think he probably is a better pass rusher, but are you going to need a pass rusher this week? I mean, yeah. Um, we saw Combo make a to, nice play off the edge in Saturday's game where he to, stopped a run in the backfield. You know, yeah, he, he was to, doing other things. To pull one out for Combo, he was a guy that always seemed to be doing his job. Tried hard. Um, see, now that that just kind of patronized him. Yeah. No, no, I don't mean it that way. I don't mean it that way. You know, he, you're, you're right. No, you, you make a good point. He, he was a guy that worked hard, that wanted to be good, that um, – he wanted to be a great player, and usually on Saturdays he was where he was supposed to be and doing his job. He just wasn't a very productive, disruptive player. He wasn't a guy that was going to go out and get you two sacks in a game. Uh, I mean, he was our starter last year, and he had two and a half sacks the whole season. So um, a kind of a what could have been, and you're kind of wondering what could have happened the rest of the season because it kind of did look like he was starting to play a little bit better. Um, he bought into what they were trying to do. Yeah, and, and he's been a guy that I think um, has matured a lot over his three years at Tennessee. Had to bounce around a lot, which didn't help him. Had to retire from his FIFA playing career. <laughs> um, and so, uh, but yeah, I, I think you know, I think the staff likes DeAndre Johnson. I think they think he can be a really good player. He's just got to be more consistent. And, and there was a reason he wasn't playing more than Kongbo to start with. I mean, he, when he was getting in the games early this season, he wasn't exactly lighting it up. Uh, but now when he got in the game the other day, I don't know if it was just the the sense of knowing that something bad had happened to Kongbo or if he was just fresh or what it was. But he was he was making some plays there in the fourth quarter. Had the big sack on fourth down. Had another key play on a, on a third and um, I think on a, on a quarterback draw that Auburn ran. Had a hurry, too. So uh, he's a guy that, that made his, his presence felt. I'm interested to see if he can uh, continue to, to play well. Beyond Daryl Taylor and, and – and Johnson, though, they don't really have a whole lot. Uh, they yeah. got Jordan Allen, Austin Smith, who rarely played this year, and then they just moved J.J. Peterson. Uh, and we've, we we can't belabor the point anymore that <laughs> J.J. is not ready to play. He is not ready to play football for He's Tennessee right look, now. Don't look for him to play against Alabama. Um, but they moved him outside linebacker to give him some depth, and because they think uh, – ultimately they think he can be a guy that can play all, all four a spots. Four for so four. maybe next year – Prude did say again, Maybe though. next year he can be an inside guy that, that slides yeah. down and can rush. So Dante uh, Hightower kind of role. I think. Well, that's kind of what they're doing with Batuli this year. And mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see what they're going to do without Batuli and, and some of their dime stuff, who's going to be the other edge rusher with Daryl Taylor 
uh, in those situations in the first half. Um, and, and might, might be Jordan. Might be Allen. Might be. Um, and, and quickly with Batuli being out, I, I think you'll see Sapp and Ignat play most of those snaps. I think it'll probably be Sapp to start off with, but I think Ignat will play. Yeah. Um, this isn't like a vintage Alabama offense. Like they don't run it. You know, they don't have a fullback and two tight ends every play anymore. But they do have a really good um, running back. They do have they have really good running backs. They're still like, it's weird. I was looking this up the other night. Like Alabama's passing offense numbers are like just absurd. They're like otherworldly, and yet they still are kind of you know Alabama. They still could run the ball for three hundred yards a game if they wanted to because they've got three running backs that want to punish you when they run, and they've got an offensive line that's consistently graded out as one of the best in the SEC and is experienced and has talent and all, all those things. So uh, while they're, you know, dazzling with all the, the Tua and all the receivers they have, they're averaging 20 yards a catch, they still are sort of their basic selves where they can pound the ball if they wanted to. Yeah. And that's that's why they're that's why this offense is scoring 50-something points a game because they could literally wake up Saturday and be like, we're going to try to win this game by running the ball. We're, we're only going to throw like 15 passes the whole game. Uh, or you know, or they can throw, or they can just go out there and be like, "We're going to run nothing other than five and four wide receiver sets," and they're still going to put up all. Yeah, these. I mean, it's it just it's like ridiculous the, the level they're at. But um, Johnson's an interesting player, and I think he's a guy that staff likes, and they want to see him get more consistent and become the player they think he can be. Well, and, and on Kongbo, quickly Pruitt, uh, his comments Monday, I thought were were rather telling of what the staff really thought of him. You know, fans always saw him as sort of, you know, again, not... He was a punching bag for the fans. Yeah, not fulfilling hype. And, Oft criticized. And uh, and, and he, was, he was seen as a malcontent a couple of years ago because he wanted to play defensive end. Well, because the, he kind of was. And the former staff, yeah. I mean, that's fair, but the former staff had him at defensive tackle. It was trying to force him in there to three technique where Ole Miss and other teams thought he might be best suited to play he had that uh that pick six against Missouri I think it was a couple years ago so you saw the light starting to come on but he still always wanted to be a defensive end so because of that and not living up to expectations fans were never really that high on him but Jeremy Pruitt talking about it Monday said I hate it for Kongbo he's moved around since we've been here and he's worked really hard he's been a guy that's tried to do everything we've asked him to do he's a guy that's going to graduate this semester so he's done really good academically it's unfortunate so this staff I mean they're the, the opportunity to see what DeAndre Johnson can do in a bigger role is, is worth something, but they're, they're not happy, obviously not happy to lose Jonathan Combo. This is a, a bit of a loss that we'll, we'll see how, how it affects them the rest of the year, but depth-wise is the big thing. Yeah, he starts, he starts for a reason. Yeah, I, I just hope no fans that have been hard on Combo the last two years are, I don't want to say taking, are happy that he got yeah. there, but are thinking – well, we can get a better player in there now. Right. That's not that's not necessarily no, the case. It's, now, it's, it's, just, might be the it's just a sad story. It's might just, be better, yeah. but you you feel for guys like Kongbo that um, you know they they've had to put up with some stuff, and mm-hmm. some of this you know some of the stuff he's had to put up with was kind of his own doing. For being frank, you kind of touched on it, Wes, but um, you know for a guy that, that just you know kind of bought in, and and there's there's some guys on this team that haven't bought in or didn't yeah. buy in at first, uh, and Pruitt kind of touched on this week, Lante Taylor being one when they moved him to defensive back, Mark Osborne being one. Uh, we've heard him talk about Schamberger kind of being in and out of the doghouse. And you have a guy like Hongbo who, yes, it was a senior year, um, but he's a guy that, you know, new position. Mm-hmm. They moved him after the spring. That's what I was going to point out. And, yeah. and, you know, he's done everything they've asked him to do and has sort of been one of those guys that's, uh, I don't say set the tone, but uh, for that to happen to him, you know, it's, it's a tough break. And it was interesting that Pruitt, you know, asked him about Batuli's targeting. 
And he kind of was like, yeah, it was a bad technique play. We have the rule there in place. But then he was talking about combo, and he said, I wish we could have reviews for, like, low block, like cut blocks. Because yeah. that's what happened mm-hmm. is uh, Auburn's fullback, Chandler Cox, was coming across the formation to, to cut him on, on the backside and hit him right on his knee. And uh, I think Cox knew that he'd hurt him pretty good because he, like, stood over him and was, like, you know, kind of being like – I think he was motioning to the sideline mm-hmm. for Tennessee trainers to come out there. And I think he – it looked like he was remorseful. I mean, that just ha- – that stuff happens, though. I mean, it's – it's a, it's a yeah, game. It's I, a collision I, I, sport. I didn't see anything malicious it, in that. Like I, I don't think he like went for his knee, but that's kind of what you're taught to do, though. And sometimes that's going to happen if. Um, yeah, it, 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 it wasn't like the play that hurt Garantano, though. It wasn't anything. It like wasn't that. the play that that hurt Chai Tuttle a couple of years ago either. Yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't like a dirty that. play. It was just a um, a play that you know you got to you know you cut. There's cut blocks. I mean, West's beloved option teams do it every play. Oh yeah, for 80 plays a game. Mm-hmm. It's it's cheap. It is. It's what you have to do when you're. Never mind. I mean, if tangent. You, I'm not going on that tangent. If, um, if you've got 260 pound linemen and you want to win, just that, dive you, at the knees and roll, baby. There you go. But I mean, uh, no, I, I think that that you were talking about combo. I'll, I'll put it like this. There's two quick things. One is uh, this is again a great lesson for if there's any of you whippersnappers out there, any any high school players, any young football players listening to this right now. Jonathan Combo was seen as a guy who almost couldn't miss. Jonathan Combo basically missed as a player. But you know what he did? He's going to graduate this semester, and if football doesn't work out for him, he has a good education, and he is going to get a job. So that is, again, the one millionth example of why no matter what's going on with you athletically, stay in school. Go to school. Get something out of it. You know, it's it's like you don't want – like had, sometimes you don't want to go, but they're giving you a free education. Go, we, go we, had, we, had, we had Reverend Rucker earlier, now we've got – yeah. College counselor. The more you know, or it's like my, or it's like my wife calls me sometimes a Hallmark card. Yeah. Um, but the uh, but and I'm like that. It, it cuts me deep when she does that. And I'm like, oh, you, you're an evil person right now. But I, I don't think that's talked about enough with Kongbo though. It's talked about with Kyle Phillips a good bit because he's played a few different sort of positions on the defensive line. But Kongbo, I mean, he was this staff was trying to make him a three four defensive end earlier this year. He played defensive tackle. He played defensive end last year only because the staff had to. He's bounced around, and, and you wonder if he had been able to settle into the, this outside linebacker role for the entire year if he could have been even more productive. He had slimmed down quite a bit and was much quicker off the edge than I thought. I, I don't know that he ever had the first step to be really good, but he had played better, I thought, than, than I gave him credit going into the season. And, and, and you, I think which, which one of you said malcontent earlier? I, I mentioned that he was you perceived as that. Compare that perception with kind of his interview before the season where he was like, yeah. The sun is shining. The birds are singing. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at I the. Love I'm, this I'm staff. looking at the mountains. I love my as, position. I'm looking at the mountains as I walk by the sun sphere, and like you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Like he's it. whistling on his way to class. No, like he was just. He had like a really. He was really high on life, and he was really excited about the season. And so you hate to see it, uh, in this way. One of the reasons I think being that he was recruited by Alabama at one point during the the final couple months there leading up to signing day that year, and Alabama was one of the teams they ended up not bringing him in on an official visit, but I think he obviously had high regard for that scheme and that staff, and having the chance to play for Jeremy Pruitt, I think he felt they could tap into his potential that obviously hadn't been reached the, the previous two years. Yeah, there's two more things that we got to get to before we get out of here, and we're going to do both of those things here. Are we going to talk about second. the guy who recruited Kongbo? Yes, we are going to. We're, we're going to talk about that, uh, the, the the way former players may or may not greet the uh, – <laughs> <laughs> Butch Jones and Jeremy Pruitt over the weekend. Then we've also, before we get out of here, we got to get to uh, the the Grant's Gun Show question of the week, which mm-hmm. we'll talk more about that later. Again, though, the prize for that is that you get to you get to ask Grant if he's got tickets to the Gun Show, and he he's got a flex. He knows he knows the rules. He knows the rules. Those are the rules. <laughs> uh, but that's what the winner every week of that gets. But 
Uh, one quick thing I do I do want to mention because I forgot this earlier. Y'all were talking about Alabama's offense and kind of what they do now compared to what they normally did. They score a lot of points yeah. than they used to now. I look at it like this. Saban tried as hard as he could for a few years to change the rules on – you know, he tried to slow down those tempo offenses. He tried to get those substitution rules changed. He fought like hell to get all those rules changed. And as soon you as you can't beat him, just do it. And as soon as he realized that he wasn't going to do that, he said, screw it. I'll go get guys and I'll go do all of this better than all of you. And now he's scoring 53.6 a game because you know what? That is an evil genius, that guy. That's why that he's guy the best. That guy is a manimal of a, of a head coach. Also, he just got a great quarterback, finally. He's had so many. He's had really, some decent ones. He's had so many that were highly ranked and talented, but they were never quite like this. But he's got a guy that we had might. Had to go to Hawaii. Had to go to the island of Hawaii. Well, he, he got a guy that finally. He, he, this guy might be an all-time great kind of quarterback. He spins I mean, the ball unbelievably well. And guess who knew he was, he was really good long before anyone else did? Me, it's a it's a PB new. Yes, I will I will beat this drum till the day that I. <laughs> oh, when leave when, this earth. when he came off the bench, that one throw he made for a touchdown no, against Tennessee stop, last season was unbelievable. Stop, no, stop. Trent, no, I'm just saying. Uh, I'm not talking Ryan, about Ryan, that. You jerk. Do you do you really? Do Ryan, you really think Ryan makes a I'm good saying? point. That, that did you just get triggered? You just got triggered. Ryan makes the point. Pat's that, triggered. Um, <laughs> He's so angry right now. Look at him. He's got that uh, smile. <laughs> He's trying to hide how angry he really is inside. Uh, Ryan made the point about Alabama's quarterbacks being kind of meh. Uh, you think about all the NFL talent they've cranked out, and their only NFL quarterback is who AJ McCarron. Yeah, who's a backup. Has I don't think he's maybe started but one or two games. They've if had at all. John Parker Wilson and other guys get looks, but never really. You, you yeah, I mean, you look at this dyna- you know their dynastic run, and they've had mediocre kicking and Brody Croyle got quarterback a play that was. Uh, I don't think Brody was with the Saban. I don't think Brody was the Saban guy. I think. Well, he he was a holdover, right? It didn't even. No, I think Park, John Parker Wilson was their starter. Okay, that's right. Um, but yeah, I've had a lot of guys. That were, a lot I mean, of guys that were. And then they had round. Then they had McElroy. It's easy to get McCarran. the Bama Banks confused. McElroy was a late round pick. Blake so, Sims, yeah, a lot of those guys. The Bama Banks. McElroy doing look. now? He's on TV. So, yeah. um, and now, about, now they've got a guy that, as you th- as you said, is is the real deal. And I saw him. He played most of the second half against Tennessee last year. And I would say after two series, I was like, this guy's better than Jalen Hurts. They should be playing him. And then I, of course, was vindicated that gloriously. T- that, that touchdown throw he made against Tennessee last year was, was an unbelievable. And then he had throw. a touchdown run where it looked like Tennessee's players were like barely moving, and he was. It was just like I was like, "Damn, this guy's really good." Yeah, yeah. And then in the championship game, I was like, "They got to do it. They got to do it." And they did it. And look what he did. And look what he's doing now. He's got like twenty-one touchdown passes. I'm trying to. His passer efficiency rating is like fifty points higher than Baker Mayfield's last was last year, and Mayfield won the Heisman was the number one pick in the NFL draft. So yeah, if my Heisman vote today would be to him, and it's not even close. I, I think he might get all the Heisman votes. Um, there is that one guy in the he AP. He could be poll. a multi multi time winner of that thing. There is there's that one guy in the AP poll who is still voting Clemson number one. I don't know what he's what he's smoking, but uh, if there's if there's anybody out there that votes uh, for the Heisman, someone other than Tua, like. I would not want to be outed as that guy. Well, but. and if if you didn't see this story last month on our uh, our Alabama site, um, Trent Dilfer, who works with the Elite Eleven, um, Super Bowl champion, Trent yeah, Dilfer. exactly. So he sees a lot of a lot of quarterbacks come up through the ranks over over several years now, um, and he was on the Rich Eisen show talking about Tua Tungavailoa, and here's what he had to say about him at the time. I think Tua is trying to mess with Ryan. <laughs> He said, I think two is a generational talent. I mean, I've said this over and over and over. I said it a year and a half ago before we got to Alabama. I think that he's a kid that can go through his college career and never lose a game considering where he's at. I mean, he's that good. The best I've ever seen. And then, he's, then he goes on to say, 
I think of the 32 NFL starters right now, I want to say 20 of them have gone through our Elite 11. I know the other ones well. He's the greatest high school talent I've ever seen, and it's not close. Yeah, because the only thing, the only knock against him is he's not, he's not that big. But I mean, everything mm-hmm. else, it's it's kind of. He's taller than his younger brother, but yeah, not huge. I wonder what uh, noted masonry expert Butch Jones how he would describe <laughs> to a. That's my phrase. He would say not he's you. a very talented individual. You're, you're stealing my phrase here, but it's a good segue, so Ooh. I will allow it. Uh, I'm trying. I, I've already forgotten. I've already forgotten all the butch cliches other than individual. Oh no, I don't. I don't think I'll ever forget them. But the uh, <laughs> there there was the debaser expert Butch Jones will be in the Illustrated. There's, yeah, Saturday. there's been a lot of talk, and if you saw comments, if you look tossed aside, you know the uh, the Pollocks and those guys who were calling Pruitt, Pruitt a meanie pants. Uh, there were a lot of Georgia players that he recruited uh, that were hugging him after the game on uh, a couple weeks ago. They were basically. They they looked at him like an old friend, uh, basically like an old mentor. And you've got all these Alabama players, especially Mac Wilson, but even a lot of the other ones too. Former players, still current players at Alabama, praising Pruitt and saying how much they love that guy. You got Jalen Ramsey out there saying how much he loves that guy. So this is going to be the second time in a month that you're going to see Pruitt go out there and um, get a lot of love from players of the other team. And what I'm wondering now, and this is something Patrick brought up, and I think it's a fascinating topic. How will Tennessee's current players respond to one Butch Jones being at the game on Saturday? How will that go? I, I don't think it's going to be quite like what Lane Kiffin experienced his he's first talking time about, back. He's talking about the players, right, not the fans. I, I know, I know. But for the for the players, I don't know. It's It's probably a little weird because most of these guys were recruited by Butch Jones, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I'm not sure how many of them ever saw him. Some did, but not that many of them saw him as a, you know, fondly as a father figure and that kind of thing. I, I don't know. That yeah. Some of the players who have come through the program and gone on, I think have already seen. Well, some guys like Eli Wolf, you know, were taking his walk-ons and given a scholarship. And so he's always going to have feelings for Butch Jones, th- yeah. things like that. Th- that's understandable. But I just wonder, because there were a lot of players while he was here, and, and we mentioned this at the time, it's been written, there were some trust issues there. Yeah. There there were some anger issues there, some anger management issues there. The, there were some things that the these players just simply did not like uh, at all. Mm-hmm. And it, it caused a couple of them to leave. It caused a couple of them to kind of stay, but their attitudes weren't great. And these uh, players know all those stories, too. These yes. guys talk among each other. They know some of the things that were said and done behind the scenes. So I'm sure some will give him the half-bro hug thing and you know be happy to see him. It'll be awkward, because he's awkward. Yeah, it'll, it'll be a little strange. But meanwhile, you've we got... Need a, we need a f- photographer dedicated to nothing, nothing yeah. but Butch Jones pictures for like six hours. I was going to say, but, f- but for the fans, like there was true animosity toward Lane Kiffin. But the, the biggest thing with the fans is that it was a year ago. Right. I mean, Lane, you had – Lane came back on, what, 14? So it was five years. Yeah. You had five years to let it kind of – Even then he had extra leave. security around him at yeah, all times. And, and, of course, the thing about Lane is I think Lane was like – I think he kind of liked it. Yeah. <laughs> Or, so or, or, or was he, strangely ambivalent. Yeah, I no, say, I, I, no I, him, I think he kind of liked No, it. I heard him say to some people, though, uh, supposedly, this is secondhand information, but, you know, kind of, I don't think he ever bought that it was going to be that rough coming back. I think he thought I, it was going to be, like, I, signs and, you know, heckling and things like that. I don't think he ever thought it was going to be threat on his life kind of stuff. Butch will get booed heavily, and I'm sure the student section will chant at him. Um, I'm sure they will not keep it clean. That's just kind of how it is these days. But the thing about Butch is that I think it'll genuinely bother him. Yeah. Oh, he yes. Will, he oh, will, God, yes. He will continue, and to 
this day continue to think that I did a good job at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And for part of his tenure, that was true. But then you ran it into the ground, and you, had, you oversaw the worst season in program history. Uh, and for all the good that you did do, uh, some of it was kind of smoke and mirrors. You kind of yeah. benefited from more. It was more what your players did than anything you did. Now you got you, the you campus. Give, you, yeah, you got him. There. You recruited Josh Dobbs and you recruited Derek Barnett and you recruited Alan Kamara and then set him on the bench. <laughs> um, you know, and you recruited Jalen Hurd and and you know Jalen Hurd before he left. I mean, it's not like Jalen Hurd was trash. I mean, he was he was a really good player for when he was, um, you know, his first two seasons. But. Uh, Give Butch he, he's gonna he's gonna be I think he's gonna be really upset that he's gonna get booed and I think it's gonna bother him you know, I think it's gonna deep down he would admit it but he w- it, it's gonna bother him because he's got thin skin and he still lives in this reality that he thinks that he did a good job here. Uh, you give him credit for Josh Dobbs and Derek Barnett and Cam Sutton and some of those guys, but didn't you also, win the East with those guys. Though. They didn't, yeah. But you also dock him for I mean, Vic Wharton went to Cal and has been a productive Preston player. Williams. Preston Williams, Jalen didn't Hurd. work out. Jalen Hurd is putting up big numbers at Baylor. I mean, even even guys like you know, even some the, Gavin Bryant, <laughs> uh, the reigning OVC player yeah, of the league. The, the list of players and coaches, and let's let's throw Bob Shoup on that list because Mississippi yeah. State's defense is playing really well. Um, yep. Let's. There's a long list of coaches and players that that regressed that were didn't do or didn't play up to whatever yep. the standard was or didn't play up to whatever they could have been. And under went, Butch. El- went elsewhere and did went better. elsewhere and had success yeah. and and. It's just, it's going to be funny to me if if and I'm going to try to try to watch this after the game because usually at the at the final horn we're trying to get stuff on the website and cranked yeah. out. But I'm interested because Alabama's going to have a line of players waiting to talk to Pruitt. I mean, you yeah. got guys like like Mac Wilson was tweeting about him like Sunday. He's like proud of my guy, Coach Pruitt, yeah. and like uh, you know during the week and, and he's you know and I'm I'm going through Mac Wilson's Twitter right now and he's he tweeted something about Garantano too. It was like. Strangely, well, while you're looking that up, I'll say that Tennessee's strangely positive. He's ten, like, I think Tennessee's current staff, what and and I, and, I, and I'm I'm not trying to to create a controversy here by saying this. I'm but I'm I'm just it's honest, so I'm just going to say it. Tennessee's current staff was floored by some of the things that Garantano had not been taught. It, and yeah, floored I, I like found, about what defenses were trying to do to him. I like they, they, they were stunned. Go ahead. So, so the Garantano plays with more con- way more confidence this year compared to last year. Eye emojis. This is this is an Alabama player tweeting about his upcoming opponent. Like, he seems like he'd be a fun guy to cover. Well, that's Anyways, what I mean. But like, <laughs> he's going to be at the front of the line. He's going to make. He's going to keep his Alabama teammates from him any time, any bro time with Pruitt because Mac is like Pruitt's other son. And um, and so it's just going to be interesting that there's going to be all of that dynamic. And I wonder how many Tennessee players are going to go over and like. I, I've, Butch I've discussed it like shit. this. I've discussed it like this. Uh, covering Butch Jones was okay, here. We go. Hold on. Give me the pop. Let me get some popcorn. I'm trying to see if this is the. Um, pl- I don't think this is a politically correct term. It may not be. I'm not sure. I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> oh yes. Oh well. It it was <clears throat> somewhat akin to Chinese water torture. Oh, that's fine. And by that I mean I'm offended. The first couple, the first little. Bit I really of time, am triggered. The now. first, the first couple times that you're uh, that that you're dealing with them, it's okay. It's just a little drip of water here and there. You're like okay, but then it just keeps going and going. And every couple seconds, another drip of water hits you. And you just, eventually, it drives you insane. Uh, it absolutely drives you insane. And I know that a lot of his players checked out for that very same reason. I know they did because they've told me. I know this. I hope Butch Jones is learning some things while he's at Alabama. I sincerely I do. do. I, mean, I do, too. There are a lot of things he got right about the job at Tennessee. Uh, and I'll say this, too. Nobody in, 
nobody who doesn't have Tennessee ties that's been at Tennessee since then, since Philip Fulmer, has done a better job of embracing Tennessee for everything that it is than Butch Jones, in a way, because he was all about the tradition, about the game, Max. And I mean, he, that's because he, he was all about the showmanship. The showmanship. The he, wasn't, yeah. he wasn't really... I don't. I don't. Maybe. Want, I, I don't mean, want to say he was. But he really also he also worried so much that. about what Tennessee couldn't do. Yeah, but he but he that's and I mean, he can't coach like that. Yeah, but he he got a lot of the job right and he got him to nine wins. So he's he's not miles away from being able to be he an got, effective he coach. To, he got him to nine wins with teams that should have been winning ten. Games. Sure, but you know what? At the end of the day, he he brought in enough talent to do to do that. But if he can learn some things from what he's going to be around and already been around at Alabama and actually apply them to his next job, I, I still think he could be a successful coach somewhere, which we, I know Tennessee fans are rolling their eyes so about. We, we, we've heard some stuff from, from folks down there that, that think that – or that, that have said that, that Butch is – you know, he's got some good ideas on offense, and yeah. I'm sure some of the spread stuff that they're doing includes some elements that, that he's coached and he's implemented before. He just he just was not ready to handle this kind of – this. Yeah magnitude of a job now didn't, he could go didn't, some didn't have the stomach or skin for it no and, and but you know if you're down at cincinnati or another group of five program it's at, at central michigan where you know you're not the big dog and not everyone is uh parsing over every word and every action that you or your program does then that's that's maybe more where he's suited and that's fine i, I think butch somewhere like when, when cutcliffe went to duke where they said why would he leave there if he wins seven or eight games they'll build a statue for him do something like that if you're Butch. If you're Butch, and, and people will say, "Oh, he's a he's a MAC coach. He's a MAC level coach." There's some, if you've if you've been paying attention, there's some pretty damn good coaches coming out of the MAC lately. Uh, one of them's at Iowa State right now. You know, one I mean, th- one thing that interests me with Butch is Georgia Tech, and the reason is that you know if are they are you advocating that Paul Johnson will get fired? No, beloved Paul. Fingers Johnson? crossed. Hope he never does. But <laughs> it looks like you know he he's either on the hot seat or getting a raise. It's weird with Paul Johnson and Georgia Tech, but. That kind of program, you're in that kind of city where you can have a. You, there's a lot of kids you can go recruit, and you can build up a base, and you can build up some energy in a fan base, and they won't want to fire you for winning like eight games or something like that. Something like something like that would be, I think, a really good situation for him. And and I hope that he learns some things. But I I just I I'll believe it when <laughs> I, I see it. But here's I and, hope he does. And he, he here here was my point. Here was my point. People have said, like, if next time you see Butch, what are you going to do? I'm like, I just – I don't care. I'm not really going to want to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's like it, – because it's like it, – it's that Chinese water torture thing. It's like, you know what? Went through that. Uh, if he wants to talk, I'll talk. Yeah, if he wants to call me right now, I'll take the call and be like, hey, what's up, man, and talk to him. But if we uh, if we bump into each other, it's like I don't even – like I don't even want – if I were a fan, like I wouldn't even want to boo. I would just want to act like it never happened, and that is why I'm I'm curious to see how fans react to him because oh they're gonna boo him. I know it. Oh, I, I know that. But I mean, I, like I, well, I don't know when. It's not like he's gonna be introduced though. He's an analyst. Yeah, that, he'll, but, but, he'll come out of the tunnel at some point. Yeah, but but he'll be he'll be. I wonder if people will just be like, I'm just gonna boo that guy because screw that guy and what he did, yada yada. Or is it just gonna be like? You know what? I'm just Who glad cares? he's gone. Yeah. Just, I don't even I, care. I'd boo him because I know it'll bother him. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you know he'll sit there like this, and he'll start getting, like, red and then purple and <laughs> then blue. And then you'll know, like, you can just see. You, I would not be surprised if he actually took that list out of his back pocket and started writing down. Oh, man descriptions of the people who are booing him the you, loudest. You guys saw the the video that's popped up online where he's on the Alabama sideline talking with someone on the bench or something or hovering around the bench, and he's got his face kind of toward the crowd, and someone in the front row or two is is – 
heckling him with Lyle and other yeah. saying other stuff at him, and you know he kind of turned away. So he's yeah. going to get a lot of that. Saturday, yeah, and I, and I I do genuine I, I do genuinely hate to see things like that because no matter who I like or don't mm. like, I don't want to see someone. No, honestly, <laughs> it's honestly, big boy football. It is no, but what I'm saying is, you don't want to happen. Is that I don't. Don't oversee the worst, would, per, the worst season in history. I, w- I wouldn't want even my worst enemy to go through that just because it's it's not fun. And, uh, and you know... Uh, just, okay, let, let me let me clarify. Getting booed is okay, but like yeah. people are saying, I'm going to kill you or die. Yeah, no one's that's, doing that. That's, that's, that's across the line. Yeah. And that's, I don't think there's that much yeah. animosity toward Br- it. Jokes, brick jokes, okay. Five-star yeah. hearts jokes, okay. Champions of Life, Champions of life jokes. Which we all are. Not just okay. They are uh, mandatory. They will be. There will be signs in the crowd. There, I think. there, there need to be those things and all, all that. But I mean, I, I, it'll be interesting for me the players because I think a lot of them will will in, be intern will, jokes should be allowed. Will be yeah. kind to them. Yes, they should. I, I asked this question. I think Saturday on our Facebook Live after the Auburn game, but you know, Tennessee played a nice video for Randy Sanders coming back mm-hmm. years later. You think that you know? Are we not going to see a Boys of Fall? You know, music. Uh, Celebrating the Outback Bowl win, yeah, with with some some memories of the Butch Jones era. No oh, welcome I, back, Butch. I, I think like uh, Sarah McLaughlin's in the arms of the angel. Yeah, while they're pl- nothing, nothing like that with yeah. a trash can. Or or you've had a bad oh. day. You know that you've had a bad day. How song. great would it be if Tennessee just had left, a, left a montage of all the things that were easy to make fun of about Butch Jones, the trash can, Champions of Life, you know, just all the stuff. If and that gen, if, if Tennessee genuine, and I know you're listening, to some of you NFL films guys. I know you are because <laughs> I talked to you about it. I know you're listening. If you do that, I might laugh hard enough to pee my pants for the yeah, first time and, since I was and, like an infant. And if you're any of the equipment guys that are listening and you still have the trash can, just go, just go leave it on the Alabama yeah. sideline. Just we still, it over there. we still need to get the Go Balls twenty four seven Team Eight trash can we and do. match the Team Seven trash can. But yeah, We're behind on throw that. Throw all that together in a video. Play on the jumbotron. Set it to "Bad Day" by whoever the heck sings that. And yeah. Or uh, yeah, some Benny Hill music, or uh, yeah. you know something like that. I could use that. Before we get out of here, uh, we will try to get to a couple or of that these. Ben Folds Five song, Brick. What now? <laughs> ben Folds Five. Uh, ben Folds Five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jesus. No, I'm not gonna sing. <laughs> you mean you got it? You got it good there. You got it good. You there. hit the note. I do. I'm let, a very talent. I'm multi talented. Let me see here. Is it time for the gun show question of the week, Wes? Yeah. yeah. Are you getting some a music spot ready? Yeah, getting well. No, we don't. I don't have the music for it yet picked out, so we're not gonna have music for it this week. But because uh, I don't really know, because normally people have like kind of a soft music playing in the ground when they're when they're reading listener questions. But this is a gun we, show. We need to have a uh, an ultimate warrior of the week to uh, honor Colton Jumper. The Colton Jump, or, or we have like a Colton Jumper Memorial Player of the Week. <laughs> Has to be a white player. Yeah, the best, the, the best white player, the, the best week. white player that we noticed in college football, non-quarterback, oh, non-quarterback, offensive line. non-offensive line, <laughs> the best skill position, non-quarterback, white player in the country. Backup quarterback should be allowed, and we'll send in the Colton Jumper certificate. White receivers everywhere are what so about punters. Offended. Yeah, guys, it, it could what about no, punters? no, Patrick, not punters. Punters are people too. No, Marquette King though, he he is eligible for <laughs> for that. So he's hurt right now, but he he would be eligible for that for the reverse jumper. He'd be the reverse, <laughs> the reverse jump, jumper, the reverse jumper player of the week. Um, but here oh, we go. Uh, here's a couple of uh, the. I'll, I'll read y'all the the three or four finalists that I've got for this, and then we will get to we will see which one is the winner. Because we need more. We need more stuff. We need more like like football guy of the week. We need we need some. Yeah. If we we're need. gonna do this, a hey, we, if I'll, we're gonna make this a weekly thing, this needs to be like a weekly. We need to like weekly. Superlatives. Oh, I'll send the certificates out and everything. I'll send them to the sports information departments of those schools. <laughs> like, 
the Go Vols 24 I'll 7 do that. podcast. I'll Ultimate do that. Warrior of the Week brought to you by the Go Vols 24 7. So here Proceed we go. We got four finalists that I've picked out from this week's group. Uh, let's see. Uh, here's one from uh, TNTOAK on our board. It's Tennessee to Alaska on the board. Shout out to the Alaskans out there. I haven't seen him around as much. The yet. Alaskan assassin. His question. One thing I think has flown under the radar is the relative lack of injuries with this team compared to the past few years. Overall, this is probably the healthiest Tennessee team heading into the Alabama game since Butch Jones' first year. How critical is the overall team health heading into this week and the back half of the season? Coming out of the Auburn game, I was a little worried because I got a little beat up. I had some guys. Um, I think we mentioned four guys, if you want to throw Abernathy in there, that are kind of dealing with nagging injuries. I was going to say, this is a better point it, a week ago. Yeah, and, and this team, like – it can't afford to have many more of those situations. So, uh, but that's, I, I feels like more, um, you don't see a lot of recurring injuries and you see yeah. most of these injuries are happening in games, which that's natural. That's part of football. So uh, I would think that, that, yeah, you're seeing. No one's falling on a helmet. You're, yeah. <laughs> you're seeing, you're seeing, I don't want to say improvement, but you're seeing, you're, you're seeing that trend coming to an end. Health is, uh, health guys. Is- I know they had a guy. I know that was Brandon Kennedy in, in practice, uh, but that was, from what I know, kind of a I say fluke deal. Flowers not, was a fluke deal too with his contact. Yeah, I mean, um, so I think they 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 made a lot of changes to the medical staff. They made a lot of changes to the training staff, and they've got a new strength and conditioning coach. And, and so far, the results are kind of speaking for themselves. They're, they're, and they're injuries are better. Yeah. Injuries are kind of there is there is some luck to it too. There, there is part of that. No doubt. So. And that, that's a pretty good no, – go ahead. And I was going to say, I, I think this team, I mean, it's a big deal. They've got to stay healthy, like Patrick said. You know, they've, they've had a handful of injuries here the last week or two, and now you're going to see it affect them even more because you're past the open date. You know, yeah, it's all six straight week games. after week now. Aside from that Charlotte game, maybe you can rest up some guys that are banged up in that one. But other than that, it's, it's going to be one week after and, another down the stretch. And here's the second of the four finalists. This is from Gapster on the board. Uh, Gapster. Said, which one of these things would be more impressive in terms of growth – or progress against the against Alabama on Saturday. Would it be one scoring points uh, against scoring points with Bama's O, or limiting Bama's opportunities and holding their score down? Which would be more impressive? One scoring against Bama would be more impressive. You think? Yeah, uh, I think it's keeping them more down. realistic anyway. Well, yeah. Well, so I I, th- I thought the second point was keeping them down by playing ball control. Oh. No, no, I think it meant just limiting their opportunities and holding their Yeah, score, maybe, their assuming, no. maybe assuming well, that's how you have to do two, it. Because nobody slows this team down. That's what I think. I think it's yeah. two because I think it's just harder to see a scenario where Tennessee keeps Alabama under 35 or 42. You, you, you hold them under half a hundy, you, they're, they're, yeah. you've got them below their Ten, average. You know, if Tennessee gives up 56 points in this game and loses by 40, you know, that's not a knock on them because Alabama's right. doing that to everybody. Yeah, I, that makes that, I that's think easy. if you lose 35-10 in this game, you've done well. I mean, I, I think a game like that, Holding Alabama to 35 these days is kind of an accomplishment. Let's not let's not like hang me, right. Pred style banner. No, well, I agree. No, <laughs> Preds. I just want to give a dig to the Preds. Here's here's the third of the four finals. This is from MD Vol 91. He said, "Will y'all's wives ever get together and do a podcast talking about the struggles of being married to you, gentlemen?" Oh man. <laughs> no, my wife wouldn't, cause she there's no struggles being married to me. That's pretty. That that's that's that that's confidence. She Bord- thinks bordering, that that's bordering on arrogance is what she that is. She thinks that there's struggles, but then if she really looked at it, she, no. 
It's like she you thinks, might think. She thinks there's struggles, but she's wrong. In other, uh, in other words, Miss, <laughs> Mrs. Brown just guaranteed that she wants to have an appearance on the Go Balls yes. 24-7 podcast. That, uh, that would not happen, though, no. My wife has joked times when she's been here about coming upstairs and joining the podcast. I was like, that's up to you. If you want to do that, that's your call. But I told her, if you step in this arena, if you step in this arena, you're going to take some punches. Oh, yeah. You're going to have to sit there and take it. And you're gonna have to give it back. She'll give it back. She'll, that, she'll probably just give it back to Ryan because that she'll, she'll is punch how back with Ryan. it goes. If you step in here, there's no more. And West, there's because she was raised in a cocoon of love, basically. And my family, it was raised in a cocoon of um, your team was a raised, different kind of love. Like Rutgers are very different kind of people. We're we're very tough love oriented. I was gonna say you were raised in a steel cage. Yeah, but the dad named Rawhide, you get what you get. But so so it's fascinating the the, the dynamic there. And and I don't know. Um, I think. I would say Ryan's wife probably talks more than he does. It's close, but probably does. I, I would like to give a shout-out to my wife, who's not listening. I love you, sweetie. How about that? <laughs> Is that your apology for your comment earlier? Uh, I plead the fifth. And Grant and his wife, I, I don't even know if they share words. I think they might just like uh, communicate with look something because they're both two of the quietest people that you'll ever meet so i don't know long story short i don't know if uh if Plus they have their hands be. full with offspring that's true they got like yeah. seven or eight kids by now uh and the last one and this one i'll be honest with you is my personal favorite for this week's question of the week but there's three votes here this is not i mean this is um you know this is, this is not north korea we're gonna you are we're the tiebreaker as the podcast host well no there's three of us so it can't well if it's one 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 then yeah, yeah i win but uh here's the question it's from cover orange Will Jeremy Pruitt go easy and not run up the score on Alabama because he once went there? Ooh. Yes. That's a I do think that's question. the winner. I think that's a great question, I, and you know what? I uh, love the confidence cover. Yeah. Good job. And, and, and you know what? Normally I think – I actually think if Tennessee ever gets to a point in its program history, I mean to a point in its program's future where, where it can do that again to people, where it could put up 40, 50 points and do all run, that every week. Run it up, Herman. Leave no doubt. I think that – Remember the Titans reference. I think – Pruitt is sort of wired like Saban. And one thing you say about Saban, he calls off the dogs pretty quickly as soon as it gets out of hand. He does show some class in that regard. He does not like to rub it in anybody's face. He's not Urban Meyer. Yeah, he, it's like he's trying to, you know, it's like Pruitt joked that, he, that it's like he's trying to not score 100 points sometimes with this offense. But, you know, when you're scoring 42 points or something in the first half routinely, yeah, I mean, you're you, – he's court, not, Two's not thrown a single fourth-quarter pass all season. He's not, he's not 1989 Houston. Trying to score hundred on SMU. That's insane. This is the this is Alabama's what? This will be Alabama's eighth game, I think. It's Tennessee's seventh. And he has not thrown a fourth quarter pass once this entire season. That is insane. But to answer your question, cover orange, I do think in, in some sort of uh reverse stranger things kind of underworld situation, I think that probably Pruitt would would go easy. I, I if I would want to see this happen just so I could see what Jeremy Pruitt's reaction would be. Cause even last week he was just like yeah, it's a good win. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's fair to say. So now, so you just beat the team that you were touting all week as the best team in the history of college football. So we've had the four, well, we didn't play that great. We've had the four votes, or we've had the four. These are the four finalists for this week's Grant Grant's we, Gun we, Show we, question we, of the week. West and I have already determined who we think will win. So that's we are the majority of us. Ryan's vote doesn't even matter. So cover no. or what, Brian? Just so we can note this, are you agreeing with the pack or are you? Yeah. Okay. I'm so agreeing. It's unanimous. I, until unanimous. that, I was on board with the wives' question. Yeah. But I think thank cover orange might have cover orange. Congratulations! You are this week's winner of the Grant's Gun Show question of the week. You know what that means for those of you who have not listened last week when we started this thing. And, and we're going to keep this thing. Whether Grant wants it or not, I could care less. This is how it is. 
The winner of this... And Grant doesn't want attention, so he definitely just don't This is why it's better. This is why it's better. If you are around campus on Saturday, or if you're just around town and you see Grant Ramey, and you say to him, how about the uh, got two tickets to the gun show? He has to flex his biceps for you. And I think, honestly, some people give away, like, tickets they give away you know money they give away all these other things what we're giving you is is physical fitness is a chance another person is a chance for ramey to awe you with his tremendous physical conditioning because this guy all he does is work have children and work out that's what this guy does and i'm telling you you'll be impressed you might you might see him flex and you might be like you know what i think i want to change my life and that's what we're giving you. We're giving you the opportunity to either, one, change your life, or two, at least humiliate Ramey in front of as many people as possible, because those are the two things we're going for. So congratulations to Big Orange. Or no, I'm sorry, not to Big Orange. Cover Orange. Cover Orange as this frequenter, week's. Frequenter of the checkerboard. Yes, frequenter of the checkerboard. And Keep the up the good work. 24-7 podcast. So, so again, if y'all uh, want to have anything... Uh, if you all want to have a question on this next week, you got to bring it to us on the board. you got to send it to me or one of us on Twitter. You've got to get us this information. And, and, and stay tuned next week. We will have the Ultimate Jumper, Colton Jumper, uh, Ultimate Warrior, Colton Jumper yeah. Memorial Award for... Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with the official name for it. And the official rules. It'll be the like probably the Ultimate Jumper Player of the Week. Can we, can we rule out that uh, Julian Edelman is, is... Or is it college football? College football. Okay, all right, good. And probably nobody at Stanford gets to go either because that's like the entire team. So just kidding, Stanford. You can be in there too. We'll allow it. Thanks for listening, guys. As my voice is cracking here. Uh, you can find us on GoVols247.com all the time where for the price of one mediocre lunch per month, for a full month, you get access to this and more. You get access to... All of us on the site, we call it 24-7 for a reason. We are always there. We are always happy to answer your questions about Tennessee uh, basketball, Tennessee football, Tennessee recruiting, Tennessee baseball, Tennessee women's basketball. Whatever question you've got on any topic, or if you just want to come hang out with some sexy guys, we are there to do that for you. I'm also on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash westrucker247. Ryan Callahan's on Twitter at Ryan Callahan 24-7. Patrick Brown's on Twitter at P Brown 24-7. And Grant Ramey, who does not have pride in working for 24-7 Sports, is on Twitter at Grant Ramey. We're also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash GoVols247. All kinds of good stuff going on over there. So there is no reason for y'all not to come by and say what's up to us. Pat, any final thoughts? No. <laughs>